Hey family, listen, if you're like me, life gets crazy and hectic, and sometimes our body needs a little extra love. For years, I've been using something that has been a game changer for me, as well as recommending it to my clients. I'd like to introduce you to Vital Body. It is packed with 37 fruits and vegetables, 19 herbs and spices, prebiotics, 15 strands of probiotics, 21 different enzymes, and I'm telling you what, you get 100% of your daily dose of 21 vitamins and minerals straight from nature. This product contains no GMOs and it is vegan friendly. And here's the best thing, there are no artificial flavors. <laughs> so if you're ready to kick off your vitality journey and you wanna feel better daily, and if you're like me, you want a little extra sleep, throughout the night, head on over to vitalbody.com backslash Monica. And because you are a member of the Black Women Amplified family, they are graciously giving us an extra 20% off of our order. Just use the code Monica20. Get prepared. I can't wait for you to try it. Head on over to vitalbody.com backslash Monica and start your vitality journey today. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to Black Women Amplified, the podcast. Your host, Monica Wisdom Tyson, brings you downloadable conversations that matter to women around the globe. We discuss all things black girl magic, amplify our voices, and transform our challenges into triumphs. Monica calls on her league of extraordinary women to push our boundaries, share their expertise, and stories of personal transformation. Welcome your host of Black Women Amplified, Monica Wisdom Tyson. As an award-winning television producer with The Today Show, she covered transformative stories shaping our understanding of humanity. From producing Inside Obama's White House with Brian Williams to covering the aftermath of 9-11, Annette Freeman is a master storyteller who connects empathy and integrity throughout her work. Annette's personal journey led her from storytelling to helping women tap into their deepest desires while discovering their divine femininity. Our conversation today is deep, healing, and grown. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce to you the incomparable Annette Freeman, CEO and headmistress of the Goddess Portal. Miss Annette, how are you today? Please welcome to the Black Women Amplified podcast. Thank you so much, Monica. It is such a pleasure to be here with you. I'm so grateful that you extended the invitation to be with you and your audience. Thank you for saying yes. <laughs> we were just chatting offline. She's normally the producer. So we're going to gently ease her into being an interviewee. <laughs> you have this amazing background. It's so impressive and it's powerful to be a Black woman storyteller. You are a producer and a journalist with an extensive background. What sparked your curiosity or 
desire to tell the stories of other people? Well, it goes back to when I was young. My father and I, we bonded over the evening news with Walter Cronkite. People who grew up in the 60s and 70s knew about Walter Cronkite, and that was a way of bonding with dad to watch the evening news. And so I was always interested in journalism. I was one of those kids that ran home to not watch cartoons, but watch the news. When Mm. CBS Sunday Morning started, I think it was in 1977, 78, something like that, I was in high school, and that was my favorite show, CBS Sunday Morning, like a news show. And I've always loved news because I always loved hearing about stories about other people and how other people lived, what was going on. And I just needed to keep up with current events. And so I've always had that passion for that. Now, are there other storytellers in your family? Well, no, I'm pretty much the only one. My parents were from the Caribbean and my father worked for Pan American Airways. And my mother worked for Chemical Bank, which is now morphed and morphed and morphed into now it's J.P. Morgan Chase. But no, I was the only person, one, my first person in my family to get a college degree. And my college degree was actually in psychology. But what was interesting was, is that I went into business, but gnawing at me to be in television and to do documentaries was always there. Mm -hmm. So I worked in corporate America for 12 years. And then I was like, I have to leave. I have to go and pursue my passion. So as I was going up the ladder in corporate America, I left and I went back to school. I got accepted to Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism. I was a single mother at a five-year-old at the time. And I got accepted. I couldn't believe it, but I got accepted and then started my journalism career. That's amazing. What was it in you that said, I'm despite, because here's the thing. I find that we tend to live the lives that other people think that we should live. What in you said, I have to do this and I'm going to pursue it? Well, the gnawing was always there. Mm-hmm. And I also had a cousin of mine who he actually was in the film business. And, but the way he got there was very interesting <laughs> because he lived in Brooklyn. And at the time in the 70s, Dino De Laurentiis, I think it was Dino De Laurentiis, was making a film in Bed Stuy called The Education of Sonny Carson. And my cousin, who was about 15 or 16 at the time. He was recently brought here to this country from the Dominican Republic. That's where my father's. So his mother brought him up from the Dominican Republic and he didn't really speak much English, but he got to be a PA on the education of Sonny Carson and worked in the field team. And then they liked him so much that they brought him into to work as an intern at the Paramount office building at Columbus Circle at the time Mm -hmm. and worked for Dino. And then Dino went to California and then brought Hector. So without a real education 
and then learning the language. My cousin ends up in Hollywood at around 19 years old, working <laughs> for one of the best producers in the business at the time, Dino De Laurentiis, and he became his projectionist. So when I was growing up, it's like I saw this trajectory of my cousin. And although I never wanted to go to Hollywood per se, the idea of working and seeing the stories in the movies interested me to pursue journalism. But my parents were Caribbean and they were like, you should be a doctor. Right. You should go to school and be a doctor. Mm-hmm. And so I, when I went to college, I started in chemistry and I took math and I was just going to be in biology and be on that science track to be a doctor. And I hated it. So then I decided that I was always really good with people. And so I said, well, if I'm going to be a doctor, maybe I can be like a psychologist. So I left the medical track and went into the psychology track. And I graduated from Howard with a Bachelor of Science in Psychology. But even with that psychology, I'd never pursued like a higher higher education. I got recruited by a company in New York. And then I w- started working in a public utility because it was like, oh my God, you're going to pay me this amount and got recruited right out of school. And my grades weren't all that, but I have there's a job. And so that made my parents happy because <laughs> I'm graduating out of school. I'm going right into a job. It's with a public utility and you'll have a job for life. And so I satisfied my parents' wills and wishes for me. I was set. I was done. So that was like, I worked there for 12 years and some of it was really good, but that wasn't my passion, Monica. Mm -hmm. That wasn't my passion. And so it did get to a point where it's like, I had to make that move. And I did. I never looked back. So what was your first entry into journalism? So my first position was a news associate at NBC News. It's a program for people of color coming out of college, graduate school, because I, I don't think they take undergrads coming out of graduate school. And you do a year and you get to work in three or four different news programs at NBC. So when I came in, my first division was I worked in news productions, which was like the documentary division of NBC. Then four months later, I got transferred to the Today Show. So I worked a couple months at the Today Show. And within that time, if a department wants to hire you full time, they can do that. So by the time I was with the Today Show, the first department that I worked at wanted to hire me full time. So I got hired out of the program before I finished. And that, again, was a godsend because now I'm full-time. Now I've got full benefits. (laughs) Now I can then start my career at NBC. I had a contract. And so I started in the news productions division, which was their documentary division, a division of Dateline, NBC. Oh, cool. That's amazing. And you, Mm -hmm. I mean, you went straight into hard, like traditional news. 
And you were at a time when news was news. <laughs> as I say, it was news. Before it was well, let me just and, yeah. 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 I mean, let me just be real, real straight up with you. When I graduated from I gra- I was the class of 2000 mm-hmm. and 9-11 was 2001. Mm-hmm. So I had only I had been out of school for a year working in the news division working in this documentary unit and then 911 happened. Mm. And I have to say like that day I saw oh Annette you are now a journalist. Because that day I came to work I had on like a suit I had on heels that day. And I remember when I got into my office, it was on all the televisions because I was on the train when it happened. So I got to the office and you know we all had it on. Everybody, it was like we all had it on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. Like because at that time I was an assistant producer. We did documentaries, and so you know my senior produ- executive producer like got us all together. And then I realized, oh my god, I'm wearing heels. So I went out really fast (laughs) around the corner. Mm -hmm. I went into a store, I bought some sneakers and I went right back to work and Mm -hmm. was at work for hours because you couldn't get on the subway. And then I had to realize like, oh my God, my son, like he's in school. So at the time, my dad, he was my ex-husband at the time, we really weren't speaking, but I had to make sure that my son was picked up from school. Of course he picked him up. And I remember not getting home until maybe three o'clock in the morning and then having to be right back at work, right back at work, right back at work for weeks on end. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful that I had a support system of my aunt, my mother, my dad. They were all there to help me through that situation because everybody was in work at the time. I mean, it was horrible. Mm-hmm. And being in the news was the most stressful time in my life during mm-hmm. that time because not only was it physically hard because you had to be at work working on stories nonstop you had people who were affected in the city of course by 9/11 and then you're looking at this footage that you're still in disbelief at what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. And then the smells in the city, you couldn't get away from the smells of the city. Mm -hmm. So that really was an eye-opening experience of being a journalist in New York covering 9-11. That really was like, okay, you're in, that's it. It's Yeah, you could no longer be working on it. You had to be in it because not only Mm -hmm. did you have to manage your own emotions of being a person in this country that just got attacked, you had to tell the stories. And then you had to check the stories and nobody knew what was going on. I remember it vividly. And I went to New York actually for something Aziz was doing. And I remember walking around and I could still smell it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh yeah. my God, I said the smell, and you can, mm-hmm. and I could still see the soot on the side of the buildings that weren't hit. And I was mm-hmm. like, and it just, I just stood in the, I don't know what street I was on, 
But I just stood in the street and, you know, New York is, I'm a Midwesterner, so we're just going to stand there. (laughs) And I just remember being like, I can't even fathom what it was like that day or even Mm -hmm. that week because I Mm -hmm. can still smell it. Right. And so if I can still smell it and it's been through snow and rain and all the things, I can't imagine living here and having that memory every time you breathe. Yeah. And so, yeah. wow. Amazing. Yeah. 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 I went down to ground zero a few times just to look because my job was to go through footage. Mm. You know, I was an assistant producer at that time. So assistant producers, you know, you scroll, we tape at the time. So we scroll through tape after tape, after tape, after tape, logging it. What do you see on that tape? So when you, when a story, when you need to give that tape to an editor and a producer and a writer to create the story, they know what shots and where they show up on that tape. So that was my job to log a lot of that material that was coming in. You saw much of what we would never see. You would never see. And that's like for every story that, you know, working in the news business, people give journalists a hard way to go in the media, a hard way to go, but they shouldn't really. Because like we end up, we can't show you everything. It was one story I told my producer, my executive producer that I wasn't going to work on, that I refused to look at this. And that was when the Al-Qaeda had beheaded that journalist, Mm -hmm. Wall Street journalist. And I said, I refuse. I said, I can't watch that. I don't want to see that. Mm-hmm. I've seen other things like the aftermath of suicide bombings and mm-hmm. school shootings and the stuff that never you will never see on air because you just can't. And But uh, those of us in the office, we have to go through that footage to make sure that you don't see that. Mm-hmm. Or if you're scrolling through something, people will try to highlight, not go past this point. Or else you will see, you know. So working in the news business, it was hard, but was very rewarding because you are the person, you are the people that gets to take the story from what's happening on the streets and give it to the world. And I was very happy to be a journalist. It was a very fulfilling and a wonderful career. And I'm so grateful that I was able to do it for as many years that I was able to do it. And you just were able to see, I mean, it had to broaden your perspective of the world as a woman in this world, as a Black person in this world, to see all the details of the full scope of a story. So when you went went into doing documentaries, how important was it to you to get the full scope of a story out? Because that I love documentaries. I just finished watching the one about John Baptiste because I like hearing oh, yeah. people's journey. Oh, girl, beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love hearing mm-hmm. people's, the full scope of a person, of humanity. Did you ever want to go into another area of news, like entertainment or finance, or di- was documentary work your space? Oh, documentaries were my jam. <laughs> I watch documentaries. <laughs> All my free time. I mean, documentaries were my life. I love documentaries. Mm-hmm. That's what I studied. 
really at Columbia, like you could go into different, after you took the basic curriculum, you can choose whether you would do news magazine, you do nightly news, or you could do documentaries. And I chose documentaries because I was a documentary fiend. I never wanted to go into anything else. Like even working on the sexy today show, (laughs) sexy. (laughs) I was, I remember, I remember like staying like almost all night because my job was to find out what Laura Bush second term, what was going to be her inauguration dress. Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. That was my job for the Today Show. And I should, I needed to be, they needed to be the first people to find what Laura Bush's dress was going to be. So I stayed my shift and then I had to stay later. And then I could get through to the people who would know that information. So I ended up calling the, I found out who the dress designer was. They were located in this strip mall in Texas. Tried to call them. Phone was busy. Now, remember, there was no cell phones at the time. So I'm just calling, calling, calling. And then I was like, oh, you know what you need to do? You need to find every store in that strip mall. And you need to find somebody that can answer the phone and run to her that shop and tell her that the Today Show was is calling. So I find somebody. They worked in, I don't know, a cleaners in that strip mall <laughs> or something. And then they, I said, would you let her know? And you, I want you to run there and tell her, give her my number and I'll be right here. And then she calls me back. The designer calls me back. Finally, it's like 10 o'clock at night. I had, or I had been at work since 5 a.m. covering the show that morning. So 5 a.m. And now it's 10 p.m. I'm still at work. Finally get this dress designer to call me. She calls me back. And she, I said, are you the designer for Laura Bush's inaugural address? She said, yes, I am. Good to talk to you. And I said, we would love for you to come on the Today Show to talk about her dress. I know you can't show the dress, but maybe you can show us some designs that she has in mind. She's like, of course, I would love to. Okay. I said, so we'll send send a crew to you and we're going to do a satellite and we'll, we'll schedule you for the like, 7.30 or whatever. After the hard news, it was like 7.30 or 7.45, she'd be on. She's like, great. But I just want to let you know that Good Morning America is going, I I told them I would do them first. So you guys are going to be second. So I was like, okay, great. So I hang up, I call the senior producer. I said, I finally got the dress designer on the line. She said, she'll do our show, but she's going to do GMA first. Did I get a cussing out <laughs> that night? What do you mean they're going to do JMA first? They got to do the taste show. If they don't do the taste show first, we don't want her. Call her back and tell her it's fine. I was like, oh my God. I got home that evening at like midnight. I crawled in. My son was sleeping. I was like, I'm home. <laughs> she, luckily, I live, my aunt stairs. So he was with my aunt. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I am not going to spend my career doing this. Mm -hmm. I'm not. It sounds sexy, Today Show, celebrities, and all of that. But you know what? That's not my interest. And that's when I said yes to the documentary unit. Mm. I mean, the (laughs) violence that would have come out of me in that moment. (laughs) And to have to suppress that level of violence that would have come come out of me in that moment. I applaud you because I promise (laughs) I'd have been in his front door. 
Right. <laughs> right. Like, right. Oh my God. I was like, what? <laughs> I got her. I got her on the line. She'll yeah. just come on after, after GMA. That wasn't good enough. And oh you know, God. that's what made the Today Show the Today Show back then. It did. Yes. It just that's so, how you that's how that's you got number you know, one. Right. It was Katic, mm-hmm. Matt Lauer, Al, and Ann Curry. Mm, the dream team. Yeah, the dream team. The dream team. Mm-hmm. So you have worked <laughs> in the documentary world and you have done something that I'm super curious about. <laughs> I'm curious about all things Obama. So please tell us about Inside the Obama White House with Brian Williams. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. What an experience that was. That was really an amazing experience. So I was approached by the the specials team at in NBC. Inside the Obama White House was a full-on NBC specials production. And that means that every, like, they chose producers in different units to work on that team. I mean, I was on a team of about 100 people. However, as a producer, there were 12 of us as producers. And then the rest of the team, of course, were like the associate producers, the assistants, the crew. And so I was asked as part of the unit, I was the only one in my unit that was asked. They took people from the news. They took people from Dateline. They took people from the Today Show and assembled a crew with Brian Williams, plus Brian Williams team to go into the White House. So I'm so excited about this. And so we were, we, you know, had our briefing meetings and we then ascended onto the White House grounds. The day before, we had to get, of course, you know, the Secret Service passes and all of that. And then we all met there in the White House briefing room as a team. And we were given our assignments. And so as a producer, my assignment was to cover Valerie Jarrett's area and the White House Council area, Greg Craig. Every producer had a particular assignment. So Brian Williams' producer covered the president. Other producers covered other areas in the White House. And then after we did the shooting, we came back to New York and assembled a two-hour show that aired over two days in 36 hours. It was, so we were at the White House on a Friday where we shot. We came back to New York on trains Friday afternoon, evening. Saturday and Sunday, we spent writing and editing. And the show aired, I think that Monday and Tuesday. So that that meant that we were putting together a two-hour show in a matter of a couple of days, which is- unheard of. It's just, we were slamming it. And so every producer had a particular act that they would write. Mm -hmm. And that's how it was broken down. So so the show could get completed. And so my area to write was when he went into five guys and like (laughs) Brian Williams and him get in the beast at the white house Mm-hmm. And they drive to Five Guys, and he gets out the car, and every, and the crowd wild. They're like, 
rock star. So, right. <laughs> so when I tell people, you know, they were like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The inside the Obama White House. I said, yeah, the one, the, the, the piece that I wrote was him going into Five Guys. And they were like, oh, remember that? I remember seeing that. So it was an, an amazing, amazing experience. Be in the White House, to be a Black woman on the team mm-hmm. covering the first Black president and his administration for a major network. I'm literally getting chills as you're saying this because I would have bust out crying at one point. (laughs) Yep. That's how it was. Mm -hmm. It was like, I couldn't believe that I get to be here at this particular time in history. Mm. And another thing about being a Black woman at that time covering the Obama White House was before he was elected, there was the primaries and we didn't have a documentary made about Obama at the time. At the time, people figured it was going to be a Hillary, John McCain scenario. And this Barack Obama was kind of like, you know, he's -hmm. coming out of kind of nowhere. He's a Senator and it's great, but people were, they were on the Hillary team. If you were a Democrat and Mm -hmm. if you were a Republican, you or on the John McCain team. So Barack Obama wins Iowa. And the news, our news division goes crazy because we now start to realize this guy is in contention and we have no background on him. There's no documentary. There's no historical anything that the news division had put together. Now, if you know news divisions, they usually will have, like, mm-hmm. you wonder, how, how do they get those, like, you know, when somebody passes away, how do they get those documentaries right. about them out so fast? Right. Do that? It's already done. Mm. They only put on a new top and a new bottom, but the rest is there. So we've, you know, you have already something about Hillary. You already have something about John McCain. You already have stuff around people who you kind of feel is going to be in the news, we had nothing on Obama. So I was asked to be part of this team to put together the first documentary about his life. And here's how it came in to be a, a wonderful to be a Black woman, is that I went to school with Santita Jackson, who I had heard through the grapevine was Michelle Obama's maid of honor. Because And Santita and I went to Howard together. Now, mm-hmm. I hadn't spoken to Santita in a while, since college. And now we're in 2008. Mm-hmm. I call her up and I say, hey, I heard that you are Michelle Obama's maid of honor. I'm doing a documentary on Barack Obama and I would love you to be a part of it. And she said, you know, Annette, I've got to make some phone calls. But because I know you from Howard and I know you treat this with the most utmost of integrity mm-hmm. and professionalism, I'm going to do it. So she gave me the first interview that was ever done about Michelle and Barack from an insider's perspective. And no one at the time had known, really, unless you were on the inside, that they were so close, that her and Michelle went to school together. I think Michelle's dad used to drive them to school. They were best friends. And so 
people in the news division didn't even know. And so I became like, oh, Annette, Annette knows something. <laughs> She's got some intel. We're all good. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're all good. <laughs> That so is it's, it was that HBCU yes. connections, mm-hmm. and it is true. We treated that documentary with the utmost professionalism, the utmost care. It was very well done. We had to do it in a very short amount of time, mm-hmm. but I think they're selling it in the NBC experience store today. And it's so interesting because I can always tell when I'm watching something if a mm-hmm. Black person did it. Because mm, the pieces mm-hmm. are there that other people miss, and how we look at each other, just an inflection in our mouth or how we move our neck, mm-hmm. other people would miss that. But it's important to our culture because we have such a strong nonverbal communication. <laughs> right. That I can always tell, I'm like, Mm-mm, black girl didn't do this one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Our black man didn't right. do this one. This is somebody right. else. <laughs> that's beautiful. I mean, and that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you all trusted each other because you had that shared experience of HBCU. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ever feel overwhelmed prioritizing everyone but yourself? What if you could build confidence, set boundaries, and say yes to you? Discover the superpower of self love with the Self Love Amplified Masterclass. It's not just about self-discovery, it's about your inner strength. Ready to say yes? Visit www.blackwomenamplified.com backslash masterclass. You don't want to miss out? Write it down. www.blackwomenamplified backslash masterclass. Now your career from journalism, are you still doing documentaries? I am, but not at, for like a network. Like I'm okay. doing a document, I'm a consulting producer now on a documentary on Minnie Evans. She is a Black woman folk artist, as they say, from the South. Mm-hmm. And her story is so powerful. She lived here in Wilmington. She got messages to draw or die as she was a gatekeeper for a white family here in Wilmington. And so she's now getting some recognition from the Mm -hmm. arts community because of her work is transcendent. And so I'm a consulting producer on that documentary. But other than that, I've really kind of stepped away from from that, from television and that life. And you have stepped into a whole new world. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I have. (laughs) <laughs> you and I met in Detroit, I think Detroit, I don't know if it was New York or Detroit, but we I do remember us being at a conference together, Circles of Light. Right. And that was such an amazing experience. And you and I both hang out in the non-traditional areas of life, mm-hmm. especially for Black folk. And at a time when other people were not in it, a lot of people are in it now. And I love that the conversation is so mainstream now. But back in the day, Mm -hmm. to go to that conference and see so many people that look like us there was just, it was an amazing experience. When did that journey of that type of studying begin for you? Oh, as a young, I was young. I was young. I fell into spirituality at a young age. 
I was brought up Methodist, but my minister was one of those new agey mm-hmm. kind of ministers. Mm-hmm. And so we were doing like those trust falls and trust walks and having conversations about beyond religion from the time I was in junior high school. So by the time I got to high school, I had become a leader in the youth movement of my church conference. But the kinds of stuff that we talked about involved God, of course, but it went beyond that. And I remember, you know, we would have speakers come in to talk about transcendental meditation. We had a camp in upstate New York. And so I led that camp. And I remember bringing in like, Mr. Transcendental Meditation. And there we are, like 16 years old. And we're like doing transcendental meditation in the barn. And then I brought in an abortion advocate to talk about abortion and what that meant. And I was always in that work. And so by the time I got to Circles of Light, it was like opening up more realms of information mm-hmm. that I was yearning for. And I loved it. And I would take the information that I learned in that group into work. <laughs> like I would have my Course in Miracles book on my desk and I'm not hiding it. People would know they were like, I would go into like meetings with my boss and I would have like a a folder and I would have the the course in there with me. Just like, all right, I don't know what's about to say, but I'm going to need this with me. (laughs) Like they, he wouldn't see it, but I would have it with me. Like it was like part of my research. Right. So I studied and I incorporated it into my life. I know for many people that are listening it's an either or situation, but you integrated it into your life. What was it that you said, this is just who I am, (laughs) take it or leave it. And you just, Um, like you said, you took it to work, you took it in meetings, mm -hmm. you took Mm -hmm. who you were with you and you didn't leave her at home and then take somebody else out of the door. Where did you get that from? I think it's because I, (laughs) I don't want to speak for you, but I was like, it's, it just, it's part of my makeup. Mm Mm-hmm. How I and why I was put here, I think, on the planet to make those that it's not either or, it's all, because I am all, we are all. And I knew the information was helpful in my life. Mm-hmm. I brought it with me so I wouldn't lose it right. with folk, right. that I would show up as much as I could as a loving, embracing human being Mm -hmm. in this experience of life. I brought it for others. So I would treat them with kindness and non-judgment and all of that Mm -hmm. because I that's how I I wanted to, that's how I wanted the world to work for me. So if I'm learning this in these books, how can I be learning it and not instituting it in my life? Because mm-hmm. I it was one thing about sometimes with we can become very insular and like only work it with the people that we know and with the language. Mm-hmm. But I always found that I've got to put it out there 
in the ether Mm -hmm. because this is how I want humanity to run. So if it doesn't start with me, who does it start with? I'm the only one that has control over how I am, who I am, and how I'm being. That's it. I can't control you. I can't control anything, but I can control me. And if I can show up at a meeting and I can be a complete channel and hear you out without judgment and just have you be who you are and I be who I am, it makes a difference incrementally in the news business. And people will tell you even now, like after I've left, there's people who I have interacted with and I have met and I become unforgettable. I'd be like, oh yeah, remember that producer? I don't know my name, but they know they would remember the experience they had with me. And that goes for when I showed up at Virginia Tech in Blacksburg at a school shooting, right after a school shooting, I was sent down there to do a story and bring back footage for a documentary we're doing and how I show up with victims and their parents. It makes a difference. It does make a difference because you see them, not the idea of them. You see the the people and Mm -hmm. that helps them open up to you and it builds a trust factor. Mm-hmm. But more of that, you have integrity with your work. Mm-hmm. You're not being one way just to get the story. You right. are just truly curious and open to whatever they feel like sharing. And so right. that makes your storytelling much stronger and more impactful because it's the truth. It's the honest. It's the honesty. It's the honest truth. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to. You're not trying to be oh, a I producer. Can... You no. are telling a I'm story. I'm a person. I'm a human a being. And I'm a human being that has. Whose works whose work is to tell your story. How did it affect you? How did you what did you see? What did you notice in that way? There's some people who go down and it's like, oh yeah, I got this, this. Make sure you get the this main person. Get make sure you get this. And like, and they come back with all the right elements, mm-hmm. all the right ones, you know, and they get promoted and because you know, they always come back with the right ones. Most of the time I come back with the stories, the stories that will resonate with people. That's powerful. And so I may come back with three interviews. Mm -hmm. Other people come back with nine. I spent a little bit more time. Their parents want to be involved. I had to wait a little bit because whatever, they were on the phone with their grandparents. So I come back with three interviews, but they're good instead of nine, whatever. And now- I'm no longer doing that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm done with that. I can look myself in the mirror- yeah. Every day, because I went to work with the best of intentions and my heart was in every story, every single one of them. Mm-hmm. You left yourself wherever you were. Mm-hmm. That's why when people see you, they're like, oh my God. Because <laughs> <laughs> you touch deeper than just, you didn't just tell a story, you told their story. Exactly. Now you are working to help women transform their stories mm-hmm. with the power of pleasure. You yes. have not only done the work with yourself, and you can talk a little bit about that, but you have moved into your own company, your own yes. business. <laughs> My own business. <laughs> the Goddess Portal. Tell us about the mm-hmm. Goddess Portal. Oh, definitely. Thanks for asking. So the Goddess Portal is a coaching, a movement, and an events company that educates professional women in the art of pleasure. And it helps them to know themselves really deeply at a deep, deep level 
in order to manifest their greatest and their deepest desires. And we help women unlock and unleash their authentic selves. And so they can tap into their gifts. And so they can show up powerfully in their personal and in their professional lives and in the world. And people are like, how do you do that? What are you talking about? What are you talking about when you say that? Yeah. And it's like, it's a complete 180 from what we think about how to manifest our desires and to go after our goals or whatever through pleasure. What? I have to say that it came as a complete brain for me to learn this (laughs) and to experience it and put it into practice like I've done my entire life and to see what my life looked like before and what it looks like now. So I come with that inner knowing because I've done it. I continue to do it and how it's the things that have come out and manifested in my life and how quickly things manifest is really, it's beyond me. And so I'm teaching it. I'm teaching it because I want all women to learn what it means to live a life through pleasure. So when you talk about pleasure, the first thing that comes to top of mind is Mm -hmm. sex and sexuality. Is this something, when you speak of pleasure, is it something just beyond the physical experience and sexuality? Is it about a 180 lifestyle change or is it, and when you say through pleasure, what do you mean by that? Yes. And thanks for asking that really great question. When, yeah, when people think of pleasure, they, they think of sex and having sex with somebody else and all the ways that they can have it. And, and they, sometimes they think like I teach technique and stuff like that. And that has nothing to do with this. Pleasure for women is an area about how do you live from turn on? And what I mean by turn on is like when a woman is turned on, she is in her flow. So you can get turned on by touching yourself. You can get turned on by self-pleasure. You can get turned on by a man doing it, helping you, stroking you. You can get turned on by just taking your finger and rolling it down the side of your arm till your elbow and feeling what that feeling feels like. You can get turned on by watching an adult movie. You can get turned on by sitting in a bath and rubbing and touching yourself. I mean, turn on is when a woman feels herself and her yoni produces that fluid, which Mm -hmm. we say when she's wet. It's that feeling inside when you feel her and you tune into her. And some women have forgotten what that even feels like. Mm -hmm. And I liken it to like, remember when you were young and there was a guy and you saw him say across campus and you were like, oh my God, it's Mm so-and-so. Or you saw a woman who you just thought she was so beautiful and you're like, oh, I want to go out with her. And something happened 
in your yoni, in your vagina. And it started to come alive and get on fire. And then like when you start kissing someone before you even have go into anything else, it's that feeling of turn on that Mm -hmm. is pleasure. That's what I'm talking about. And then when you're turned on, you know when you're turned off. So when you're turned on, if you start making decisions based on whether you're turned on or not, will then lead you to a life of turn on. Mm -hmm. And if you make decisions just based on like you're turned off, but you're just like, okay, so this checks the box, this checks the box, this checks the box. Okay. I think I'll go there. I check the box. Great. It doesn't seem very pleasurable, Mm -hmm. but if checking those boxes makes you turned on, I say, go for it. So that is what I'm talking about is making your life so that the decisions that you make in your life comes from pleasure and it can be done. And I teach tools. They're real tools that can help access that. I want to just say this if I can, because this is my mantra is taken from the Course in Miracles, because this is really what the art of pleasure and moving from pleasure is really about. And I hope if it's okay, I'd love to read it to you. So the goddess portal is the gateway to pleasure and desire. Its courses and tools do not aim at teaching the meaning of pleasure and desire, for that is beyond what can be taught. Each woman is free to chart her own pathway to what truly brings her bliss. It does aim, however, at removing the blocks to the awareness of pleasure, which is her inheritance, that she may manifest and experience her truest and deepest desires. So that's what I do, is to remove the blocks to the pleasure and the desire that's already there. So when you're doing your work, what are some of the blocks that you're coming across that people are saying that they're dealing with or that's keeping them from fully getting into the flow of the pleasure that you're speaking of? That's a good question. Some of it comes from, say a person goes through, like say a relationship breakup, right? They're broken up with somebody and they go to their girlfriends and like you would, and you're just kind of talking it out with them. But that doesn't seem to it helps a little bit, but like you go home and you're still next to your bed on your knees crying. Then they're like, okay, so you seem to be, this is distressing you too much. Why don't you, you might want to go see somebody like a therapist, right? So you go to a therapist and, and you, you know, talk it out and they give you ways to handle and stuff like that. And that's great, but you're still talking about it. What we do is we give you actual tools that doesn't give you advice, but allows you to move through your emotions in a way that takes them through your body and into the universe. Mm -hmm. So what we found and what I found, I'll talk for myself in my life. I was dealing in a relationship for a number of years. And this man told me that I was too old. No harsher words have ever been said to a woman that she's too old. I had that tick in my head for most of my late 40s and early 50s, because I was 48 at the time. And it hurt me so deeply 
more than I could have even realized. It prevented me from dating anymore, even though people were like, oh, you know, oh, you're going out. Yeah, yeah. And I would be like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. But that tick was in my head. I'm too old. I'm too old. And it just stuck there until I went to the School of Women in the Arts and I learned this technique called spring cleaning. And spring cleaning allowed me to get out that tick to where I can now feel myself, be more accepting of myself, tap into my turn on so that I could move past that trauma into looking at my life in a different way. And that happened in like a couple of months. So I've had this tick for years. And within a couple of months of actively doing this particular tool and some others, which I'll explain, I could move past that person saying that to me and me taking it on like it was the truth. And I didn't need any advice from anybody. I didn't need pills, drugs, alcohol. What I needed to do was hear myself. And as I heard myself and was received in a judge-free, confidential environment by another sister, I was able to heal that within me so I can move on to another relationship. If I had stayed without this work, I would have still been in that mindset. You're too old, Annette. Just go over there and sit down. You're an old Black woman. Who's going to want you? And I didn't want that for myself. And so anyone who's listening to that, if anything has ever happened like that to you, you know how horrible it feels to have that over and over and over and over and over in your head and can't get it out. So yeah, that's one of the tools. It's like it becomes this movie that plays in your head and it trauma colors everything that you do Mm -hmm. because you see the trauma before you see the opportunity. The opportunity is there, but you look Mm -hmm. at it through the lens of your trauma. And if you don't clear that, you won't Mm -hmm. see the opportunity, whatever the opportunity is. That's That's what people need to understand about trauma is it colors every decision you make in your life from the color of lipstick that you wear, the clothes that you Mm -hmm. wear, to Mm -hmm. the friends that you have, to the job that you take. It is such a powerful monster and it speaks for you. And so just clarifying this for the audience. So what you're saying is, is that you go in with your work and you deal with the monster so that people can feel free. Exactly. And the ultimate goal of it is freedom. And for Black women, we have such compounded trauma because it's not only our personal experiences, it's experiences of living in the society and it's generational. Right. So we have it coming from all areas. And once you have the trauma, then you're triggered. And so what Annette is saying is that this is a method beyond what you hear about that can help you deal with those monsters that color your life so that you can be free. And so tell us about other methodologies that you use within your work that help people get free? Oh, sure. Another 
big one is called the swamp. And a swamp for me was similar, you know, that same tick. And also it's for me was generational. So when a person's there in a swamp, it's something that like they're having a hard time dealing with something. Mm-hmm. They're having a really difficult time, say, with rage, like somebody at work is always bullying them and they don't know how to get back at that person or they don't know what to do with themselves. They could have a hard time with their significant other, but they don't want to they don't want to lash out at them or they do lash out at them all the time. It's right. an area where they're having a really difficult time that brings up rage and anger, a person that might have a difficult time with grief that they can't seem to let go, sadness or worry. And so we have this tool called swamping. And a woman will identify what her swamp is. What is it that's causing you such grief or rage? She'll write it down. And then we go through movements with music to move that energy out of her body. So we'll swamp with a rage song. We'll get pillows or objects and bang them on the floor. We'll scream. We'll let loose in that rage. We'll kick. We'll punch. We'll press against the walls of the floor and move that energy. Then another song. And it's more of a grief or a sad song. And we let the woman experience that emotion in that time. Now, we would want to stay in those emotions a lot of the times, or we won't want to go deep into those emotions because we think if we go deep into our rage, we will never come out of it. But the transformational alchemical thing to do after we experience those emotions is turn on. It is turn on that will release you from those emotions. And so after we've played a rage song, a sad or grief song, we'll put on some sexy music and let a woman turn herself on by moving in a sensual way, touching herself, enjoying herself, playing with herself to that song. And I'm telling you, there's nothing out there like this. It is amazing to see someone go into the swamp having such an emotional roller coaster with the same issue. Mm-hmm. And then after she's turned on, It's like another person. Mm -hmm. But the hardest thing to do is go from those dark and deep emotions to the turn on because it's not natural, but it is natural. It's natural for a woman. It is natural for us. That is the issue sometimes when we get, especially when we start getting older and it's like, oh, we don't have a partner or nobody wants me or blah, blah, blah. And we just start shutting down. And when we start shutting down, guess what? Our juices dry up. And when our juices start to dry up, we start to get stiff. 
And then we start to just being a little bit less flexible and we start saying no more often. And so we start shutting down our lives, but it is the turn on. It is the flow of the woman that is going to keep us viable and fun and sexy and flexible. So we can go after our desires, no matter how old we are, no matter what we've been through. You introduce people to themselves. Mm -hmm. And areas that they may have forgotten or never never tapped into because of the shame. Because, oh, no, I can't touch my vagina. Mm -hmm. I can't self-pleasure. Or if I do, I feel so much shame around it. I'm Mm -hmm. touching mine right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right. (laughs) All right. Okay. See how much fun it is? It's so much fun. (laughs) You know, it's a beautiful thing because God gave us a whole body and society said you can only focus on a couple of parts of it. Yeah. And because of that idea, we become, we begin to oppress ourselves. With that mm-hmm. feeling of shame that you're talking about. So women meet themselves, many for the very first time, beautiful process. And it's a, yeah. what a calling on your life. You know, what a calling yeah. on your life to not only do the work for yourself, but to just say, I want everybody to have this work. That's beautiful. I really want you to talk about mm-hmm. the power of the divine feminine, because mm-hmm. we get so stuck in terms and the understanding of mm-hmm what femininity is and what the divine feminine is and what feminism is. And I really like for people who are in this work to help us understand the distinctions because I feel one is from society and one is about us meeting ourselves. So continue on and if you can get yeah, into it. Yeah, thank you. You know, it's we are like on the same path wavelength because I was going <laughs> to talk about that. <laughs> I was going to talk about the spirituality and sexuality, spirituality and sensuality. We've learned to separate those two. We've been taught like, it's like the Mary and the Mary. You know, there was the Mary who was the prostitute, Mary who was the mother. And either you're the mother or you're the whore. We're both, we're at all. Mm -hmm. And that's where the divine feminine comes in, is that we don't have to push to get our needs met. We just need to be whole and authentic and turned on. We need to find our power within every single cell of our body. We've been co-opted saying that our vagina is only for a man's pleasure or objectifying our vagina and our breasts for his enjoyment. Or we dress to impress or try to do our other other women. We get into that ridiculous competition game mm-hmm. around who's better looking and who's thinner enough and who's blah, 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 blah. As women, we are beautiful in all our iterations in the, on the planet. And that's what the divine feminine is all about, is finding our power from within and using what we've been given our turn on to enhance our lives. We used to turn over our turn on to only those times when 
with somebody or, you know, maybe we're trying to like impress and go out to an event and, you know, we could try to be sexy. But what if we were just sexy and sensual all the friggin' time for <laughs> ourselves? Right. All the time. <laughs> you know, like you show up on a call and you're yeah. like, hey, right. how y'all doing? <laughs> <sighs> okay, we're going to start the Zoom meeting now. Okay, mm-hmm. why don't we play piano? first you know stuff that would actually bring women like joy and pleasure mm-hmm. what if we did that mm-hmm. so that's what i'm introducing is the stuff that brings us pleasure from our first we have to know pleasure that's another thing you ask women like what are the what what pleases them or what their desires are many can't even tell you so first what we do is we go in with a woman and we find where her pleasure centers lie. What brings her pleasure for real? Because if you don't know what pleases you, how can you ask for that or encourage or manifest that if you don't even know? So that's number one. And then we then allow her to then just find herself with these tools. Removing the blocks, getting out the grief, not getting it out, but like anytime grief does come with you, guess what? You have a tool Mm -hmm. that you can use that would help move the emotions through. If you're stuck on something, somebody pissed you off today, you can spring clean about it. You're not asking for advice. You're not asking for somebody to just sit down and like fix it for you. You have the answers within yourself. So with the spring clean, you can do that. Because in a spring clean, which I didn't share, it's a completely confidential space. The person who is receiving the information, they say nothing except for thank you. And at the end of it, it's gone. Like you never bring it up again. You never talk about the subject with the with the woman. It's gone. So, you know, these tools, and there's so many more, they work. How did you find that these tools, because you said you did the work with Mama Gina, Mm -hmm. what bloomed in you when you got into this work? Hmm. Well, the first thing was when I first saw her and experienced this work, I was like, oh my God, where has this been? (laughs) And I was so gone. like. Every, you know, like somebody said, Annette, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything mm-hmm. is good. Like, you know, I'm smiling. Hey, everything's good. And on the outside, seriously, you know, you would think that everything was really cool. But on the inside, I was really empty. So when I heard and experienced this, I was like, all in, like, all in. I had no more frigs to give because I had reached my pinnacle. Like, okay, I had worked at NBC. I had done the career of my dreams. I won an Emmy. I had a beautiful son. He is going to college. I mean, like you would think that all those things would have just been enough. Mm -hmm. And I knew that there was more. And when I heard Mama Gina talk and I heard the testimonials of the women and I saw the women I saw them. I saw the difference in their eyes. I saw the difference in the way they walked. I saw the difference in the way 
that they spoke. It was authentic. It was the light was coming from within. Didn't matter what they had on. The light was coming from within. Mm-hmm. And I said, I want that. Whatever she has, I want that. I remember when I went to Miami because Mama Jeannie used to have big in-person events. She came in the Miami Convention Center riding a horse with six (laughs) men, shirtless, hunky men next to her. She had on a mini skirt with feathers and no panties. And I was like, who is she? I love her already. Because when a woman is turned on, you can tell she doesn't care about what you think about her. Mm -hmm. She knows who she is. She loves herself, really. And you can't take that away from her. And she's powerful. And that's what I got. Mm. My life is really different, Monica. I'm living in a beautiful place in North Carolina. I'm looking out over a river, which is right outside my living room window. My partner, who courted me at Mm. 55 years old, Mm. told me, said, Annette, if you move with me here, you don't have to work. And for someone who was a single mother, Caribbean Worked two, three jobs, as a journalist in the news business, working my ass off. Someone for me to vibrate in a way that I have attracted a man who loves and adores me says to me, I'm going to take you out of New York and you don't have to. That was five years ago. And I've been having the time of my life. A I'm round a of person. applause for him. Yes, Lord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hercules, Hercules. Hercules. <laughs> that is so beautiful. I mean, that's freedom. Mm-hmm. That is freedom because you feel safe. Mm-hmm. And for Black women, it is so hard for us to feel safe. Yeah. So for someone to provide a space for you to be yourself says a lot about him as a person just as a human being, but it also says something about, it's a testament to the work that you have been doing Mm -hmm. because it's not something that you were looking for. You just knew that you deserved better, but you didn't know Mm -hmm. what better was going to look like. So you just did the work and this is what you manifested. You did the work and this is what manifested. So you're a testament of the work that you do. Exactly. I didn't know. So one of the things that we say in this work is when a woman says her desire We say, and so shall it be, or something even better, way beyond your wildest dreams, to affirm what she has said. And it's true. This is my so shall it be. And it's also, and something even better, because this was way beyond my wildest dreams. Mm -hmm. I did the work. I took on this work like it was a PhD program. I was in it for the study. I did the work. I did the tools. I created sisterhood within the women who, in which I do create sisterhood and community so women can do these tools together. 
And it's not just me. There are hundreds of thousands of women who have gone through this kind of training. And Mama Gina has only opened this up for her students, some of her students to teach. So there's only 50 of us around the world that can teach these tools besides mm-hmm. her. And she's no longer doing anything in person. And she's also doing things like overseas. Like right now she's in Morocco. So I'm taking these tools to the people, to our people, to Black women, because I know it works. And we need to be shored up, especially in these days and times, because we have big fights ahead of us. (laughs) We have big fights on us. And if we don't stay healthy, turned on, we're not going to be able to fight the fight. Mm -hmm. So I'm tapping into an area that we haven't looked to do to find our power. Tapping into that area where that would have gone crying about some man somewhere or some woman somewhere, or we've shut her down because we're in the fight. We can't think about that right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying we've got to. Right. We have got to, we need to, to say, wake up because we need more power here to get through what we're facing. And so this work is not just kind of trivial to turn yourself on, which is beautiful, but it's to turn yourself on so you can access more power. Exactly. The only thing I can say is that's power because the biggest thing that you teach is that we have a choice. Because most people feel when they get to a certain age that this is just how it's going to be. And this is just how it is, because that's what our parents taught us. And the truth of the matter is we always have a choice and you are showing people a different choice that they may have never thought of before. But it puts you into a place of just pure personal power, which is connects us to the divine. It connects us to the universe and it connects us to each other. So I love what you're doing now. I love how your work has evolved. I have, you know, watched you from afar and I get to see bits and pieces of it, but to hear your, the full breadth of what you're doing and the full arc of your story is just absolutely beautiful because it's not even about a second chapter. People talk about, oh, I'm on the second chapter. It's like, no, you're evolving into yourself, Mm -hmm. which is a different experience because we, as Black women, are often told that we don't deserve for a man to take care of us the way that we want a man to take care of us. You know, that we don't deserve to not work. We have to work hard. Like Mm -hmm. Bell Hooks calls us the mule of society, you know, so when you can move into a space of power, manifestation and ease, let's go. (laughs) Let's go. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And now I'm working because I want to work. I love to work mm-hmm. and I love this work. That's the thing. I love this work and I get to do this work. And, you know, there are other women who have done all kinds of other stuff with this work. You know, mm-hmm. there are women who I know who they were rich women. One rich woman that I'd met in the program and she used to give her money away to lovers here and there. Just, you know, he find, you know, they get involved in a relationship and like, oh, he wants to start a business. And so she's given the money away to that person. And she came into this work and she's like, she made other choices. And so a choice that she made was she had family who had was produced on Broadway. And 
instead of giving her money away to some lover, she's decided for the first time that she was going to invest in a play. That play ended up going on to Broadway and then winning a Tony. So it's okay, not what's the name of the play. I can't say <laughs> because I can't. I I, know, I, know, I can't I tell you. I'm saying a story that was something that you know was yes, in. You know, we have confidentiality, but it ended up winning a Tony, and it's over the last like I've been in this work for nine years, so it's one of those best picture. But that's to say that. Mm-hmm. This work, when you say a desire, and so shall it be, or something even better, way beyond your wildest dreams, once you start removing the blocks to your awareness of pleasure, which the <laughs> tools do, you don't know what's going to unlock for you that will be the exact thing that you needed to catapult you mm-hmm. to your desires. Well, thank you. That's what this work does. That is absolutely beautiful. I don't know what more we could say right now about all of this. It's a lot to take in because for many people, this is a new conversation. And I just want to thank you for sharing your entire story and to see, you know, like I said, to see the arc of of what you've done and what you're doing in all of it. You have been true to yourself, which is in itself is powerful. And I think that Mama Gina just gave you new language for what you already knew within yourself. So before we conclude our beautiful conversation, I could talk to you forever. What is one thing that people can do at home? What is one question that a woman could ask herself to start her journey of finding herself? That's a good question. I would say this. If a woman, like when she's on the phone or like when she wakes up in the morning or she goes to bed at night or any time during the day just take her take your hand and cup your vagina just cup her you don't have to do anything you don't have to make any moves you just put your hand on her to let her know that she's not forgotten to let her know that you're giving her attention to let her know that you love her And she doesn't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. And then see how your day goes. Or see how that conversation goes. (laughs) Because they can't see you. (laughs) So just see. So that's what I'll offer. Mm -hmm. Well, Miss Annette Freeman, thank you so much for this beautiful conversation. I am glowing. (laughs) I love talking about this kind of stuff. I think for us, it's, we need a journey of liberation like none before. And I love everything that you're talking about. So how can people find out about your work or how to get in touch with you? Sure. So my website is goddessportalcoaching.com. I have a, it's a simple website. There's an area to book a call. I have free discovery calls. I have a in-person workshop that's coming up in January, which is also available through that website. It's happening in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I also have a virtual course offering similar to the in-person that's also available on that website for you to find out. But set up a call with me. You know, I'd just love to talk about it and just, you know, you don't have to sign up for anything. Just call because I love talking about this work. 
Well, thank you again. And thank you for saying yes to your calling. I've been in conversation (sighs) about calling with my friends and it's like, it's a lot of us are getting called to do something different and we all don't understand it. So for you to say yes, lets me know that you're a leader in this and people can trust that what you do works because you've shown it in your own life. So thank you so much. Thank you, Monica. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate all of this and the Black Women Amplified family. Please share this conversation with your girls. It's something that we all need to hear and open your heart when you listen and listen with your heart because we are having our own renaissance now and we need all of the tools in our toolkit to fully be liberated from everything everybody told us that we were so that we can be the person that we were born to be. So thank you all for listening and I will see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to Black Women Amplified. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and log on to blackwomenamplified.com for more information. Keep shining. Keep shining.